now. You're in the WOR Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete, here's Sal Licata. Was just reading during the break here a new column by John Harper, our next guest. John uh, of the Daily News, of course, baseball columnist. The headline, if they don't improve dramatically, Mets would be foolish not to consider trading DeGrom or Syndergaard or both. We welcome in John Harper right now. Harp, I know you didn't say let's do this right now for the Mets, and it's something that has to be you know, at least thought about if they continue. Do you think this team will continue to play the way that they have over the last three and a half weeks? Uh, I'm not sure, Sal. I mean, uh, <clears throat> you, I don't really like what I'm seeing. Um, just you know, I expect Syndergaard and Degrom both to get. Well, Degrom was really good, but get back in shape, get back in his form. Syndergaard, I think, will get better, but I just don't trust the rest of that rotation right now. And um, so, yeah, I'm not sure. And I, I don't, you know, the offense, I'm not, I'm not sure about either. So. I just don't know, and I just think they're heading for to a point where they're going to have to make some of these decisions. And part of what I wrote about, a big part of it, is that the Phillies and Braves are coming faster than anybody expected. A lot of good young talent, the kind of young talent that the Mets need, and the kind of young talent that's going to—they're bringing more and more. They're going to have more coming from their farm system. They both have strong farm systems, which the Mets don't. So I just think they're going to get to a point where they have to. It's a tough call. I mean, because if you if you do trade those guys, you're looking at a total rebuild. And it's more t- difficult because you got a uh, you got you committed to these guys in their thirties for for more than the next for the next couple of years in, co- in terms of contracts. So it would it won't be an easy call, but it might get to a point where you got to look and say, you know, is is it the best way to go forward? And I think the reason why it comes up, and I'll admit, I thought about it. You know, maybe a week ago or so, we had discussed it maybe before one of our shows over at SNY, thinking about the idea of, look, this team desperately needs, to your point, Harp, what the Braves and the Phillies have. The only way to do that is to trade either Syndergaard or DeGrom. But I think we're so far from that. I mean, even if this team is 500, they're not, they're not making that type of move. Now, they not, might not make it anyway and still believe, you know, to your other point, that they may just patch it together and try to add on this. Uh, I, I just think it's so, you think they would do that during this season, even if they continued playing the way that they did, that they have been playing for the last month, that's something that would be done this season, or you think it would be explored in the offseason? Well, I think they should consider it only because if you think you're headed in that direction, I mean, it all depends where they are, yeah, but they might be, if they're at 500 and they're behind three teams in their own division and five or six in a wild card, then they're probably kidding themselves if they think they're making a run this year, so I only say that consider because it would give you Whoever trades for a guy like DeGrom or Dick Syndergaard, an extra half year, an extra shot at a title with with those guys, who three for it will give you three with DeGrom. So you know how it works. The, you're gonna, the bigger you're going to get the the sooner you trade in the bigger haul you're going to get. So if that's what you're looking at, but I, I don't, I really, if that's not Alderson's nature, I know that, and uh, I can't, couldn't blame him for. They, I mean, this is their time to win. It's just that they went into this season expecting. Much better from uh, total from total from the uh, rotation. I thought Callaway and Island together would would uh, I think really make create some dramatic improvements there. And we really haven't seen it uh, from guys like Mats and Wheeler. And obviously Vargas has been bad so far. So uh, to me, I mean the offense. Maybe you can help with the offense, but to me, the pitching has to be much better in the next six weeks for me to consider or for me to really think they're on the on the path where they could still do something here. Talking with Daily News baseball columnist John Harper, I, I think it is worrisome 
the way that the Braves and Phillies have played, the players that they have produced, we know what the Nats are. That would worry me, Harb, that if the Mets don't get those teams now, I mean, it's not when's it going to happen? Because, you know, they have, as you mentioned, they have Jay Bruce who's not going anywhere. They have Todd Frazier for a couple of seasons here. They have Cespedes. Where exactly are the Mets going to improve significantly enough over the course of the next few years to where they don't get it done this year? What would make us think that the Mets are going to be any good moving forward? Yeah, that's kind of the point of what I'm writing about here is that uh, you're getting guys in your 30s now. We're already seeing it. I mean, and baseball is trending so much the other way now. More than ever, you're seeing these young guys come up and have an impact. And I think some of it is because you talk to scouts and things. These guys, these these young players play so much more baseball in their teams now, and they play at the, in these national events, national showcases. And I think they're more prepared to, to uh, play at a higher level and even play in the big leagues than they were at a younger age years ago. And so the Mets, have, on the other hand, have all these guys in their 30s who now we're seeing injuries to Cespedes, Frazier, uh, Jay Bruce with the plantar fasciitis. Uh, yeah, I mean, this was the year you thought, I thought they had one more, at least one more year to take advantage of the Phillies and Braves. And you never know, maybe they'll fade. But right now, you look at that talent, guys like Acuna and Albies, man, for the Braves, that's what you want. And what really shocked me was when I looked at the uh, the ERA, the ERA leaders in the, in the National League, the, the I think the Braves are two and the Phillies are four, and there's the Mets at 12. I mean, that's supposed to be the Mets' advantage. And so if they're getting that kind of pitching, these teams, I mean, maybe it won't last, but right now it does look like uh, it's really an uphill climb for the Mets. Harp, when Sandy Alderson was first hired, he talked about rebuilding the entire organization from the bottom up, right? Talked about the farm system and how important that is and that was and all those years of quote-unquote evaluation mode that the Mets had to go through. Now, you saw some of it come to fruition, obviously, in 15 and 16. They added, obviously, free agents and assessments and all that stuff. But really, his main priority was to rebuild the farm system to a point where by now, in 2018, they should have players that can come up through the system and... And have a positive impact that hasn't happened why hasn't that happened yeah I, that's a great question Sal that's, I, I wrote about it a lot in the winter uh, that this is where Sandy Alderson's got to take the hits I mean he's not the guy out there uh, making the making the picks on in the uh, draft but he's ultimately responsible so whoever you want to blame it on scouting directors their scouts whatever they have not done they have not gotten enough out of their drafts and that's that's a major issue because, as you said, that's really what he came in to do was basically start all over. And if they had to do over again, they could have gotten more out of, uh, out of you know, they should, probably should have traded David Wright and Reyes when they still had value, and they could have, they could have done more that way. But Alderson is, is firmly against tanking, so he, he never wanted to go there. He wanted to try and kind of do it without sinking to the bottom as teams like the Astros and Cubs did. Uh, but you know what? If you're going to do it, you might as well go all in on these on this tanking or whatever you want to call it, because that is the way to do it: is to rebuild, reset the salary start the salary payroll all the way to the bottom, like the Braves and Phillies have done, like the Astros did, and then you can climb back and you have room. That's the other part about the Phillies and Braves; they both have big money to spend, and the Phillies are are talking like they're they're really really going to be in it for somebody like Machado or Bryce Harper. So 
that's the other part of it. They have a lot more money to spend than the Mets too, as well. well. Right, which is a whole nother problem. We'll talk with John Harper, baseball columnist, New York Daily News. You know, another mistake Alderson made was holding on to all these arms and thinking that they would pan out. Now, I have said over the years I would have traded Wheeler, I would have traded Syndergaard at certain times, So, and there were reasons for each one, Harp, but they kept all of them, and it never panned out the way that they had hoped. So that was a mistake, certainly in hindsight, but even at the time, I think anybody would say, well, you're not going to hit on all five, pick one and trade one and get some position players in here. We were talking about that for a while, but the bigger question is, if Alderson has not developed a farm system, they haven't developed the players and done well in the draft, why should the Mets then trust Alderson to trade Syndergaard and DeGrom or, and obviously bring in the guys to rebuild the farm, or be the guys to replenish this farm system and make the changes necessary moving forward? Yeah, that's a fair question, Sal. And it's, I think it's going to become more of an issue if this team doesn't uh, kick it into gear and play at a higher level. Because uh, as it is, we know Alderson is not going to be here for a long time. Certainly, it doesn't seem like so. And, uh, you know, I mean, ownership or whatever has a right to question whether he is the right guy. They didn't, they, look, at, listen, they didn't bring Omar Minaya back uh, just to, uh, you know, dress up the, the building or whatever. They, they brought him in because they weren't happy with some of the stuff that's going on with the draft. Uh, you never know. Maybe maybe some of these guys will still pan out. This kid Alonzo, Peter Alonzo, is having an impact in double A. He's hitting a lot of home runs. They do have some guys on the lower levels that you talk to scouts at Scouts Light. But, you know, if you're talking about the next couple of years, yeah, that, that, that farm system looks empty, and that's where it's fair to question whether all of a sudden should be the guy to make the decisions if you're going to, especially if you're going to kind of start over. Well, that's the point. I'm not trying to pick on Sandy Alderson. I like Sandy Alderson. I think he's done a nice job here, but you can't dispute that they have not developed the players that you would have expected, that they had, they would have had hoped. They haven't done well in the draft and have not developed the players for whatever reason. And it's not just him. He's he's the head of it. He's the name. But it's everybody right. else. I mean, who, whether it's Rico or Ricciardi, whoever else is in that front office making those decisions, I mean, it just hasn't worked. And if you're going to rebuild it, and I know we're ways from that, but if you're going to blow it up and trade a guy like Syndergaard and DeGrom, I would think that you need to blow uh, blow up the front office before you make big moves like that. Yeah, the problem is, I mean, not the problem, but I think, uh, I don't think they're going to blow it all up. I think if, even if, if they were to kind of move Sandy uh, into our, whatever you want for semi-retirement or just say it's over, it's probably, I think they're going to stay within the same structure with a guy like John Rico probably taking over and maybe Omar playing a bigger role they, they, I don't think they're comfortable going out and looking for a whole new regime. That's, that's what they did with Sandy Alderson. Um, I think they feel like, you know, Rico is a guy that they could trust. He's done, he's been around for a long time. But they, they, I mean, they, listen, they're in a place now where the Yankees were five or six years ago, or maybe yeah, about that, when they just were not getting much out of their 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 farm system. And sometimes it's it's more, not not necessarily more, but can be about development as well as the players you're drafting. And Hal Steinbrenner finally stepped in and said enough is enough, and he made changes in the in that uh, minor league system that have proven to be really beneficial, And along with, I think, making better choices. But that might be – the Mets might need to get to that point where, you know, ownership needs to step in and, and make those kind of changes. You know, whether they're willing to do that or not, we'll see. The one thing, you know, you know even Sandy, to, to be totally honest about it, he, I mean, he did a good job making some of those trades early, but to get to the World Series, he really needed that the guys, Omar's players, were kind of the nuts and bolts of that 15 team still. 
Yeah, I, I look, I know that sometimes the drafts take a while, but between Nemo, who's finally starting to have an impact now, and again, who knows what his upside really is. You know, Ploiecki, uh, Dom Smith, Rosario, these guys need Kachini. to be... Well, right, Kachini, that that's the difference, Harp, of the teams who are winning. You know, the Yankees are supposed to be in, in rebuild mode here, and they basically, they almost make the World Series last year. They come a game for, within the World Series. This year, they have 18 stars that they develop, they bring up, they churn them out. Guys look like whole of future Hall of Famers left and right. Is it a finance thing at the lower level? What, how, what's the difference with development? How come one team could do it so well and the other can't? Well, scouting is a big part of it, and uh, it's hard to break that down exactly how much the Mets spend on scouting. I don't. I you know that's just hard to get to. But I'm sure the Yankees, you know they they don't they don't uh, go cheap on that stuff. They go as, they spend as much as you can on scouting. I think they probably spend as much as anybody on international scouting as well. And at some point, yeah, I mean, that that has to make a difference. So uh, I don't know if that needs to be addressed with the Mets, but uh, they, they they just have to put more – I think they have to put more emphasis on that. There's no way you shouldn't get more out of the drafts than they have. And, you know, there, for years talking to some, you know, minor league people that they, they felt like the Mets, you know, didn't spend as much as you should on on the draft picks. Uh, and that at some point catches up with you. Yeah, unfortunately, that seems to be the case. Now, I will say, Harp, I started the show by talking about this. I still believe in this team. I think they get it turned around starting this weekend with Arizona. I mean, you got the Marlins coming in. The way the pitching lines up with DeGrom, Matt Syndergaard, I think they got another run in them. I think they'll be competitive all year. But I do understand the forward thinking about the idea of potentially having to trade DeGrom or Syndergaard to restock the farm. Unless they want to go out there and sign Machado. I mean, do you think that's a possibility at all moving well, forward? Yeah, I, I really. I didn't get into that just because to me it's not realistic. Uh, but yeah, it, listen, if you're going to stick with this model and, they, and these players, you're going to have to go get a big time player. And if you're going, the, the problem usually with the free agent market is usually you're getting guys on the at least starting on the downside of their careers. So Machado and Bryce Harper are, two, are both going to be 26. So they're the they're the guys you can get who are still just in, in entering in their prime. It's going to cost you a fortune. But if you want to do it right and get young players that are still, that still have uh, you know ways to go here, those are the guys the guys you got to spend on, not the Jay Bruce's or whatever. Everybody thought Jay Bruce was a bargain. You know, now it's not looking like such a bargain. So I think um, if that's the way they're going to do it. You got to go after one of the big guys. You can't just try and piece it together with guys like they did this winter. And if there's ever a time to spend, it would be on Machado or Bryce Harper. John Harper, New York Daily News baseball columnist. Thanks, Harper. Appreciate the couple minutes. Okay, thanks, Sal. All right, check out Harper's column tomorrow's Daily News. It's uh, up uh, on the website right now about uh, you know the possibility the Mets may have to cross that bridge. Hopefully they don't get there. But if it continues going as bad as it is, it is they may have to consider. Well, I still don't think that they do that. I don't think that they're going to have to do that. I don't even think I would do that. I'd still try to build around Syndergaard and DeGrom and go out there and spend money in the offseason on Machado or Bryce Harper and hope to maybe build other pieces around it and still develop and draft better. I mean, they got to do a better job of it. There's no way around it. 800-321-0710. 800-321-0710. Your call's ahead. We'll do some stuff on Matt Harvey. Here's some sound from him after yesterday's outing 
in San Francisco. Harvey pitching his second game away from the Mets. We'll uh, talk about that. Also, we'll do some Vegas Knights stuff. Talk to a Vegas Knights beat writer. Get the feel. Steve Carp is going to join us. Get the feel from Vegas and what it means to have an expansion team enjoying the Western Conference Finals at the moment. So a lot more to do and a pair of Subway Series tickets to give away before we say goodbye at 9. Salicata in the Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710 WOR. The do is whistle. You're in the WOR Sports Zone. In for Pete, here's Sal Licata. Matt Harvey has to be a changed man, right? He's out of New York, finally. He's in Cincinnati, enjoying himself. Well, he hasn't been in Cincinnati yet. First, it was Los Angeles, where he actually pitched four decent innings. Yesterday, it was San Francisco, where the Reds won. Harvey started the game, four innings, seven hits, three runs. Not really good. Five strikeouts and no walks, which is good, but typical Harvey, four innings, three runs. Let's see what Matt, let's see the change, Matt Harvey, and listen to what he had to say after the game. You know, obviously, um, wasn't really able to execute pitches when I needed to, and um, you know I came in after the second inning, and I was sitting there thinking that I was tipping pitches because they were not missing anything. So you know I had to make an adjustment, and luckily I was able to do that. And, and I think I threw. Uh, I was telling Tucker after after the game that uh, after the home run to, to Belt I threw a pitch to let's say Sandoval maybe or whoever whoever followed him and you know I kind of felt it felt it click and, and realized uh, that I was flying open I wasn't really getting out front and, and executing the pitches the way I wanted to and even him he, he came over he said you know that ball felt different had a little extra life on it and, and kind of um, snuck up on him so you know, I was I was happy that I was able to make that adjustment and, and finish strong. Uh, unfortunately, I came out after the after the fourth. I took a peek at how many pitches I had, and it had it had creeped up pretty good. So, um, other than that, I mean, I was happy the way the way I finished, and and definitely the way the ball was coming out that fourth inning. It sound familiar? It probably does because he was saying the same. You know what? For the last year and a half with the Mets. I mean, Matt, wake up, please. You Face the reality. You are terrible. And until you look in the mirror and understand that you don't have it anymore, you are never going to get better. What's he talking about? Pitch count got up there? 77 pitches. That's what you are now? A 77 pitch pitcher? Four innings? You gave up three runs, but you still felt positive? Ooh, yeah, Matt, you were really scary. You looked really good. I'm sure the Reds were thrilled with that outing. Four innings, seven hits, three earned runs, and yet this guy is somehow positive about that appearance. The same way that he was repeatedly positive about his appearances here with the Mets every time he got tattooed. Oh, you know what? That was a good pitch. I felt good after that pitch. Yeah, you're really starting to get it. Stop me if you've heard it before. Please. Enough, and I'm sorry for having to put you through that again, but I heard that last night, and I I honestly laughed out loud when I first heard it. Same old you-know-what from Matt Harvey. He's finished. Ray's in Waterbury. What's up, Ray? Hi, Sal. How are you? Good. You? I'm all right. You know, I'm disappointed in Callaway. I expected him to be better. I mean, he doesn't have any faith in Blevins, so he never goes to a lefty. His lineup that he turned in yesterday was pitiful. You knew what they were going to lose when he turned that lineup in. Yeah, the lineup yesterday was bad. I mean, it's only been six weeks or so of Callaway. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt here. I think he's still going to be a great big league, great big league manager. He had a bad lineup yesterday. Happens. And, and I mean, 
What are you arresting everybody for? They, they, they've been rained out left and right, and they I don't know. today. I don't know why. I, and, Ray, I don't know if it was resting or just a slave to matchups, as I said yesterday, and thanks for the call. He Yesterday, there's no excuse for the lineup he put out there. You can't have Philip Evans, Luis Guillorme, and Jose Lobaton all in the lineup when you have Jay Bruce on the bench. Um, what else? Who else am I forgetting? Well, he could have moved... He could have had Bruce in the outfield. He could have had Bruce at first and moved Flores to third. He could have had Gonzalez at first. It's just because of the lefties. Oh, and Nimmo was also on the bench yesterday. Nimmo did not start that game. So Nimmo and Bruce both on the bench. Philip Evans, Luis Guillorme, and Lobatone in the game. You don't mind Lobatone in for Mesoraco day game after a night game, but you do mind it if you combine with Guillorme and Philip Evans. Put Lobatone in, fine. Then you got to put Bruce and Nimmo in the outfield. Or in the lineup. Put Flores at third as much as I hate it. It's against the lefty. If he's not playing against the lefty, you might as well cut him. Put him at third base. Put Gonzalez or Bruce at first. And if you're going to put Bruce at first, put Nimmo in the outfield. If not, put Bruce in the outfield and put Gonzalez at first. Can't do it all at one time. You're basically sacrificing the game. And it turned out that they did exactly that. 800-321-0710. The number to call still taking your calls all the way to 9. Mets tickets, a pair of Subway Series tickets to give away within the next half hour. When we come back, we're going to get a feel from Las Vegas. Talk some hockey. Been a while. More so about the expansion Golden Knights being in the Western Conference Final and what Vegas or how Vegas is feeling about that at the moment. We'll talk to Steve Karp, who covers the Golden Knights. He's their beat reporter. We'll do that next on the Sports Zone. Salicata in for Pete McCarthy, the voice of New York, 710 WOR. This is the WOR Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete McCarthy, here's Sal Licata. Take a break for the moment from your Mets calls. Remember, we'll get to Mets Yank Subway Series tickets when we when uh, we're done with this interview. Within the 20 minutes before the show is over at 9 o'clock. Right now, though, I want to get a feel for Las Vegas. I've been watching this team from afar. Not really watching this team, but following this team from afar all year long. We welcome in Steve Karp, Las Vegas Review Journal, covers the Golden Knights. He's their beat reporter. Steve, I'm fascinated by your Vegas Knights. I mean, and jealous, by the way. As a long-suffering sports fan, here you are, the first team there in Vegas, first professional team, expansion year, where I would think most people... Didn't expect much from this team. They win the Pacific Division. Here they are in the Western Conference Finals, up two games to one. I mean, what is going on in Vegas with your Knights? Well, it's a team that believes in itself. It's well-coached. It's talented. It's hungry. And it's motivated. And it's got an entire city uh, behind it. So, uh Everything's kind of falling into place for this guy, this group of guys. Steve, did you expect this? What were the expectations in Vegas from uh, this Vegas Knights, <laughs> uh, from this Golden Knights nah. team? No, nah, I mean, look, there, there's no way anybody was predicting this was going to happen if they are, they're lying. I thought they could win 28, 29 games at the most. Uh, I didn't think they had much offense when I looked at the roster. And, of course, that, that proved to be wrong. They are just a group that that plays the game the right way consistently, and that's been the key for them all year. They are not a fancy group of guys. There's no superstar forward. They have a superstar goal of Marc-Andre Fleury, but when you look at their roster, every guy on it is somebody that their team thought they could get away with – losing 
And, uh, you know, you look at William Carlson, 43 goals. Eric Howell, 29 goals. These guys were fourth-line players with their teams before they were taken by Vegas. I'm just uh, – look, Steve, even listening to you talk – it's perplexing to think, you know, I'm a Rangers fan here in New York, and whether you want to reference the Islanders, who haven't won in forever, the Rangers, I mean, the Devils have had success more recently than either of those teams, but the Rangers haven't won a cup since 94. It feels impossible for them to build a Stanley Cup winning team, and here it is in year one, and the Vegas Golden Knights have put together a team yeah. that is two games away from the Stanley Cup final. <laughs> well, George McPhee and his staff get all the credit. They put together a really smart group of hockey people in that front office, and they did a great job of betting all the players that may have been available to them. And then he swindled a few people. I mean, what he did to get Carlson, what he did to get Eric Howell, what he did to get uh, Riley Smith and Jonathan Marchessault, and of course, Flurry. Uh, he did some uh, great maneuvering within the rules that the uh, draft provided and uh, this is what you have. And, and they, they drafted for chemistry as well as for talent. And, and they're a very fast team. It's, if you've watched them any time, you can tell that their speed is superior to that of most NHL teams. They play the game very fast, very quick. They move the puck from defense to offense extremely well. And it takes a, a really good effort to bottle them up and slow them down. And, and Winnipeg by the way, is a very good team, very similar. Four lines, three sets of defensemen, they're physical. It's really been a good series so far. Talking with Steve Carp, Las Vegas Review Journal, the beat reporter for the Golden Knights, who are up 2-1 in the Western Conference Finals over Winnipeg. Game four tomorrow night in Vegas. You mentioned, Steve, a key word, chemistry. And that is something that I think coming into an expansion year, you think, how the heck are they going to build a chemistry? They're taking guys from everywhere, throwing them together. Here, go play hockey. Maybe that's something each individual guy rallied around. They came together and said, you know, where the, the misfits or the wanted bunch to a certain extent and they come together and gel but i am shocked that they've been able to have that chemistry steve to a point where they as i said win the pacific win 51 games or here in the western conference final that has been a huge key to team chemistry you know what it was the coach gerard gallant treated everybody fairly and if you were on the roster you were going to get a chance to prove you could play on this team and i think that's what fosters Good chemistry, when you know that everyone is treated fair, when you know you're getting a chance to play and you get your minutes based on merit, not on how much you make. And here's the best example. They traded for Tomas Tatar back in late February at the draft at, at the deadline, at the trade deadline. He makes over $5 million a year. They gave up a first-round draft pick to get the guy from Detroit. He wasn't performing. They benched him in the playoffs. Okay, that sends a message to the room that it doesn't matter how much you make, who you are, what your credentials are. If you're not performing, you're sitting. And it gets the attention of everybody very quickly. And even a guy like Tatar who had to sit, he has bounced back and played very well since they put him back in the lineup for game two up in Winnipeg. He scored the first goal, and he played well again last night. Steve, how is the... 
What's the city like? I know you talked about it there in it, but tell me how much. I mean, has this city now become a rabid, passionate hockey fan base? Is that a, you know, must check out atmosphere in there? What's yeah. the, how, how much are the Vegas people, the fans of the Golden Knights behind that team in year one? Well, obviously there, there's a lot of to go into this love affair. Most of all is the winning. Everyone wants to back a winning team. But when you think back to what happened on October 1st with the shootings and the way the team helped the community heal and the way the city bonded with the team, uh, that's a big element of this thing. And, of course, the players uh, have made themselves available throughout. They've helped sell the game in the community. We've got a lot of kids, a lot of, a lot of women, a lot of people who never watched a hockey game in their lives now think they're experts on the game because I hear from them all the time, by the way. <laughs> and uh, it's pretty funny. But, uh, no, look, it's the first major league professional sports team. And, and as someone like, uh, like you grew up in New York and, and had everything there for, from baseball to football to basketball to hockey, we take it for granted. Uh, I think in Vegas, everyone that came from somewhere else, most people at least, so they had to choose between, let's say you're a Pittsburgh fan. All right, now are you a Golden Knights fan? Well, some guys did switch it over. Some guys kept their allegiances. But for the most part, this has been Las Vegas' team, and they've run with it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the the uniform is pretty cool looking. The logo is good looking and sharp. And they've done a great job of marketing and, and uh, selling their merchandise. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a real love affair in full bloom. Interesting, Steve, that the team probably embodies the city too, right? You said everybody's from somewhere else. Well, that's kind of how an expansion team comes together. Everybody's from somewhere else, and here they are together yeah. in the Western Conference Final. Game four tomorrow night. They have the 2-1 lead over the Winnipeg Jets. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. Enjoy uh, game four tomorrow night. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Steve Carp, Las Vegas Review Journal, covers the Golden Knights. Uh, obviously a beat reporter for them, giving you some insight there. You know, and I had, not that I had forgotten about it, I guess I just haven't thought about it, the mass shootings, as he said, in October, and the team being able to, you know, provide an outlet to where people can rally around them and, you know, help them get their minds off of that horrific event. I, I, I had forgotten about that, and you couple that with the winning from this Vegas Knights team gives those people something positive to have there. They get behind them. Year one, though, it's remarkable to think about how you can put together a franchise, put together a team in year one and do something that teams have tried to do here locally. I mean, everywhere else too, but here specifically locally for 30 plus years. I mean, the Islanders haven't been what? When was the last time the Islanders won the cup? 84, something like that? 83? 83. 83 for the Islanders. Obviously, it's 94 for the Rangers. Now, Rangers have been back to the Cup Final in 2014, but, I mean, Producer Mark, you're a big hockey fan. You've been following. The, I thought the Golden Knights would, you know, I do my preseason picks over-unders and whatever the point total is or wins. I thought that, I figured the Knights are an expansion team. They're going to be horrible. And here they are, Western Conference Final. I mean, have you been following this team? You into the Golden to the yeah, Golden Knights? I mean, it's incredible to watch them. Flurry's the reason they're so good. Their goalie, you probably remember him from, from the Penguins sure, yeah. all those years. He's had like six shutouts in these playoffs already. And my big point on them is, shouldn't the fan base have to suffer a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Like, that- I mean, we're Ranger fans. 
2012 when they lost to the Devils, mm-hmm. 2014 when they lose to the Kings in the finals. We've had to suffer, and then before that, obviously, before 94, obviously I wasn't alive, but you were. I mean, 54 years in between Cups and the Knights, one year, one they could go one for one. What year were you born? 93. Wow, so you yeah. don't even, I mean. I don't have recollection of it, no. Crazy. See, I have a little bit before. I mean, I was probably, four, I was born in 79, so I was probably a, um, you know, 14 or 15 year old. I forget exactly when the Rangers won the cup. But I always felt of all my teams, right? The Rangers were the only one or are the only one that have won a championship. But I always felt it was cheap because of that exact reason that I got into it. I was maybe a fan for three years leading up to that. So I never endured the pain enough to make that win special. Now, it was fun. It was cool. I remember it. I remember going through that whole season and all that, but not the way that I would appreciate another team winning after years and years and years of losing. You haven't had that at all because they, they won the year after you were born. I mean, that's that's bizarre. I mean, everyone always says it about the Mets. Why you want to be a Met fan instead of a Yankee fan? Because it'll feel better when the Mets win. That's a good point. How did you become a Met fan? Uh, my dad is actually a Yankee fan. I uh, was born in Queens, though, and my grandmother was a huge Mets fan, so that's why I became a Mets fan. Wow, a Mets fan who was born in 93. That yeah. is, You are a rare breed, my friend. I know I am. Producer Mark Wiener uh, uh, helping us out here uh, tonight and uh, showing his Mets fan. I had no idea you were born in 1993. That is uh, ultimately uh, depressing to me. Mets tickets when we come back. Subway Series tickets, matter of fact. Mets and Yanks. Pair of tickets to give away when we come back. 800 It's the Sports Zone. Sal Licata and for Pete McCarthy, the voice of New York, 710 WOR.